Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast, Episode 82, Operation Barbarossa, Stalin's Worst Nightmare. Last time, we recounted the day leading up to the Nazis' invasion of the Soviet Union and Stalin's insistence that Germany was not invading, merely provoking the Russians. We also learned that Stalin had plans to invade Germany first, but was beaten to the punch. Stalin was pretty stunned when he learned of the invasion. At first, he thought it was a provocation by a rogue general of the German army. The boss was quoted as saying, Hitler does not know about it. He didn't want to retaliate until he heard from Berlin. Stalin was just sure that the Germans weren't so foolish as to start the campaign in late June because of the brutal Russian winters. But Hitler was so sure of himself and his army that they could sweep their way all the way to Moscow in just a couple months. Stalin had the ambassador from Germany summoned to the Kremlin. Schulenberg went to Molotov's office, where he mumbled words to the effect that Soviet concentration of forces caused the attack. Of course, this was sheer nonsense, as the attack had been planned by the Germans from almost the first day of the signing of the peace treaty in 1939. The invasion was supposed to happen in May of 1941, but it was delayed because of events in Yugoslavia. The Germans invaded the small Adriatic nation, which diverted troops needed for the Russian campaign. It is this invasion that provided the opportunity for my German father to meet my Yugoslavian-slash-Russian mother. Interestingly enough, as a little side note here, just a few weeks ago while talking to my older brother, I learned that my mother, who came from a wealthy Russian family, was a noted partisan who helped fight the Nazi occupation of Yugoslavia. She was wanted by the Soviets because of her Tsarist heritage, but she became a hero in her town of Belgrade because of her anti-Nazi underground acts. Count me as a very proud son. On the first day of the invasion of Russia, Stalin remained steadfast in his belief that the attack was a diversion and not a full-scale incursion into the country. Molotov was the only man brave enough to shake the boss out of his delusional state. Once convinced of the scope of the German invasion, Stalin went into a frenzy of action. Beria, Voroshilov, Zhukov, Mikoyan, Kaganovich, Malenkov, and Timoshenko scurried in and out of Stalin's office, carrying the boss's orders out. The worn-out leader was working feverishly despite the shock of being proven wrong and his predictions. He made numerous brilliant snap decisions. Stalin ordered 20 million people to be moved east, along with entire factories so that nothing valuable would fall into German hands. He also used tactics learned from his predecessors, Peter the Great and Tsar Alexander I, when they faced a similar situation, scorch the earth before the advancing enemy and leave them nothing but smoldering dirt. Stalin now ordered his top men to head out to the front lines to assess and report back to him. Zhukov headed southwest, Malenkov and Budyonye to Bryansk, Kulik to the west. Within days, reports came into the Kremlin describing 
the collapsing fronts. By the 25th of June, Stalin was forced to come to grips with the enormity of the catastrophic losses. Orders were given to move the body of Lenin to Siberia. Moscow was one of the obvious targets, as was Leningrad, the old St. Petersburg, and Stalingrad, the old Tsaritsyn. Minsk was being threatened when Stalin recalled Zhukov to Moscow to come up with a plan to slow the Nazi juggernaut because he could see that the Germans would point it straight at him and Moscow. By June 28th, seven days into the invasion, the Germans were 300 miles deep into Russia as they took the Belarus capital of Minsk. Stalin sank into deep depression. I'd like to read the comments made by Stalin to his inner circle from Simon Montefiore's book, Stalin, The Court of the Red Tsar. I must warn you, the language is explicit. There we go then, said Stalin. Let them get it sorted out themselves first. Let's go, comrades. Stalin led the way out of the office. As they climbed into the cars outside, Stalin uttered his first words of truth since the war began. Quote, Everything's lost. I give up. Lenin founded our state and we've fucked it up. Stalin cursed all the way to Kuntsevo. Lenin left us a great heritage, and we, his successors, have shitted it all up. Even when they had arrived at the house, Molotov remembered him swearing, We fucked it up. The we was meant to include all of us. Stalin said he could no longer be leader. He resigned. At Konsevo, Molotov tried to cheer him up. They left the broken Stalin sulking at his dasha. From here, the boss went into seclusion. He wouldn't reply to any members of his team. Scrambling, Lavrentia Beria came up with an idea, a war cabinet, with himself, Molotov, Voroshilov, and Malenkov, led by Stalin, if he would do it. Off to Stalin's Dasha in Kunsevo they went on June 30th. Cautious and very nervous, the men approached Stalin, but the one who was most nervous was the boss himself. Stalin, according to Beria, expected anything could happen, even the worst. The conversation within the group went something like this, according to Montefiore. Quote, Molotov, who was the most senior and therefore the most exposed to Stalin's vengeance, stepped forward. Thank you for your frankness, said Molotov. But I tell you here and now that if some idiot tried to turn me against you, I'd see him damned. We're asking you to come back to work. Yes, think about it, answered Stalin. Can I live up to people's hopes anymore? Can I lead the country to final victory? There may be more deserving candidates. I believe I shall be voicing the unanimous opinion, interjected Voroshilov. There is none more worthy. Pravlino, right, repeated the magnates. Molotov told Stalin that Malenkov and Beria proposed to form a state defense committee. With whom at its head, Stalin asked. You, comrade Stalin. Stalin's relief was palpable. 
The tension left his face, but he did not say anything for a while. Then, well, Beria took a step and said, You, Comrade Stalin, will be the head, and he listed the members. Stalin immediately went into command mode. He knew he had survived. He had been so utterly ruthless in his purges that even in times when he was most vulnerable, they were all too scared to take him out. But wasn't the whole episode merely an act put on by Stalin, copying his mentor, Ivan the Terrible's actions back in the day when he threatened to leave Moscow, he threatened to resign, and then having the boyars begging him to return to his people. Yes, this was a grand game played by the boss. He had his NKVD boys, Poskrobyshev and Beria, taking notes on what people were saying behind Stalin's back. Luckily for most of them, they learned their lesson during the Great Purge, and they did nothing without getting permission from the boss. Stalin went on the radio to talk to his people on July 3rd to begin to lay out a plan to stop the tide of desertions and captures by the army on the front by blasting what he called cowards, deserters, panic mongers. He needed to do this as the Germans now captured Smolensk along with 300,000 additional prisoners of war. Over two million men were now lost to the Russian war effort. Then he approved of an order, the notorious Order Number 270, which in effect said that any man captured by the enemy would have his entire family destructed, killed, murdered. It was signed by Molotov, Podionye, Voroshilov, and Zhukov. Stalin's order went something like this, quote, I order that one, anyone who removes his insignia and surrenders should be regarded as a malicious deserter whose family is to be arrested as a family of a breaker of the oath and betrayer of the motherland. Such deserters are to be shot on the spot. Two, those falling into encirclement are to fight to the last. Those who prefer to surrender are to be destroyed by any available means, while their families are to be, be deprived of all assistance. At the end of the war, when the Soviet military liberated prisoner of war camps holding Russians, those men were not greeted with open arms. Many were simply shot as deserters. Join me next time as we cover the war effort and begin to see the tide turn and German advances were halted with the brutal battles of Moscow, Leningrad, and Stalingrad in what will be the longest podcast I've done to date by far. Sorry this one was a little shorter. But I am going to have a focus on an event, a very sad one in Russian history and in world history. It's the Katyn Forest Massacre. In 1940, Joseph Stalin ordered the murder of over 21,000 Poles. For many years, it was thought that the Nazis had committed the atrocities due to Soviet propaganda. It was the Soviets who really perpetrated this evil deed. In 1989, Gorbachev revealed that it was Stalin who ordered the massacre. 
Here is a translation of the order I copied with permission from the web website Katyn, which is K-A-T-Y-N, dot org dot A-U. While not a pretty website, it is chock full of information on this human tragedy, and I recommend anybody who's interested in it to read what they have there. The order goes like this. Stalin's Order for Katyn Forest Massacre. Top Secret. 5 March 1940. USSR People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs. Moscow. To Comrade Stalin. A large number of former officers of the Polish Army, employees of the Polish Police and Intelligence Services, members of Polish nationalist counter-revolutionary parties, members of exposed counter-revolutionary resistance groups, escapees, and others, all of them sworn enemies of Soviet authority, full of hatred for the Soviet system, are currently being held in prisoner-of-war camps of the USSR NKVD and in prisons in the western provinces of Ukraine and Belarus. The military and police officers in the camps are attempting to continue their counter-revolutionary activities and are carrying out anti-Soviet agitation. Each of them is waiting only for his release in order to start actively struggling against Soviet authority. The organs of the NKVD in the western provinces of the Ukraine and Belarus have uncovered, uncovered a number of counter-revolutionary rebel organizations. Former officers of the Polish army and police, as well as gendarmes, have played an active role in all of these organizations. Amongst the detained escapees and violators of the state borders, a considerable number of people have been identified as belonging to counter-revolutionary espionage and resistance organizations. 14,736 former officers, government officials, landowners, police, gendarmes, prison guards, settlers in the border regions, and intelligence officers are being held in prisoner-of-war camps. The number includes soldiers and junior officers. Included are generals, colonels, and lieutenant colonels, 295. Majors and captains, 2,080. Lieutenants, second lieutenants, and ensigns, 6,049. Officers and juniors of the police, gendarmes, prison guards, and intelligence officers, 1,030. Rank and file police officers, gendarmes, prison guards, and intelligence personnel, 5,138. Government officials, landowners, priests, settlers in border regions, 144. 18,632 detained people are being kept in the western region of the Ukraine and Belarus. They include former officers, 1,207. Former intelligence officers of the police and gendarmes, 5,141. Spies and saboteurs, 347. Former landowners, factory owners, and government officials, 465. Members of various counter-revolutionary and resistance organizations and other counter-revolutionary elements, 5,345. Escapees, 6,127. In view of the fact that all are hardened and uncompromising enemies of Soviet authority, the USSR NKVD considers it necessary, one, to instruct the USSR NKVD 
that it should try before special tribunals. A. The cases of the 14,700 former Polish officers, government officials, landowners, police officers, intelligence officers, gendarmes, settlers in the border regions, and prison guards being held in prisoner of war camps. Together with the cases of 11,000 members of various counter-revolutionary organizations of spies and saboteurs, former landowners, factory owners, former police officers, government officials, and escapees who have been arrested and are being held in the western provinces of the Ukraine and Belarus and apply to them the supreme penalty, shooting. Examination of the cases is to be carried out without summoning those detained and without bringing charges. The statements concerning the conclusion of the investigation and the final verdict should be as follows. A. For persons being held in prisoner of war camps in the form of certificates issued by the NKVD of the USSR NKVD. For arrested personnel in the form of certificates issued by the NKVD of the Ukrainian SSR and the NKVD of the Belarus SSR. The cases should be examined and the verdict pronounced by a three-person tribunal consisting of comrades Merkulov, Kobulov, and Bashtakov. People's Commissar for the Internal Affairs of the USSR, El Beria. Signed by Stalin, Voroshilov, Molotov, Mikoyan, Kalinin, and Kaganovich. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'd appreciate it if you can give me a rating on iTunes, as will help improve the podcast's position there. Don't forget to visit the new website at www.russianrulershistory.com or join us on Facebook at the Russian Rulers History page. There, you can ask a question, make a suggestion, or leave a comment. Now, as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.